0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to Safari Zoo News. Y'all probably know how this works by now, uh, although, I don't know, we've had a lot of new listeners trickling in recently, so uh, if this is your first time here with the Zoo News, Welcome. The way this works is pretty simple. Um, I'm going to share with you all of the news stories pertinent to the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and like, you know, general cool animal stuff that I can cram into the next half hour or so. Might even have, oh, I don't know, a laugh or two or, or a serious luxury kind of moment because I like to get up on my soapbox. And after all, what is a podcast? But uh, my, my soapbox delivered digitally. Uh, But the best part about this is that these stories are sourced not just by myself, but by all of you, the Rasafarians, my lovely community, who send in news stories to me to report on here. So if you happen to see something that is newsworthy in this realm, then go ahead and send it to me, Rasafaripod at gmail.com. Or DM it to me or tag me in it on the social media channels. Uh, I'm at Rossafari on everything except for TikTok, which is at Rossafari pod. And you will get to hear me say your name, possibly even pronouncing it correctly. Possibly not. We'll see. At the end of the episode in which I use the story. And I mean, if we're going to be completely honest here, sometimes people send stories that I don't use, but I say their name anyway, and then I use them another time. So sometimes I just say names thinking someone might have sent me a story. I'm, it's all a big mess, but people get to hear their names if they send me stuff. So send me stuff. Hear your name. Yay. Anyway, for those of you following along with my personal exploits through this podcast, um, I'm home for the week. The tour is back on hiatus. We'll be picking up again in late January out in Los Angeles, and I'll be sharing more information closer to that time. But I will be starting my contract at Delaware Theatre Company in Wilmington, Delaware next week. Pretty exciting stuff. Still doing Million Dollar Quartet, different cast than I normally tour with and stuff. Actually, a couple of the guys uh, in the show were on my very first tour of the show with me six years ago, and I'm I'm really excited to work with them again, as well as some people I don't know. So that will be fun. Wilmington is also the home of the Brandywine Zoo, so I'm sure I'll be spending a lot of time there hanging out with their red pandas and lemurs and other cool animals. So that'll be a lot of fun, too. And yes, I am planning on continuing to try to reach out to zoos in the general vicinity of where I am to... uh keep that trend going on the podcast, where as I play places, I bring you facilities that are kind of close to there. So I'm going to start that effort soon, and hopefully it pays off, and uh, yeah, we'll see how all that goes. But um, you'll have to forgive me if I sound a little more rambly than usual uh, today. So here's a fun story about your buddy, John. I am a night owl. And I'm not referring to some species of bird that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. I just tend to stay up really late, sleep really late. It's kind of the musician lifestyle thing. Uh, it's actually really challenging for me sometimes. A lot of the zoos that I want to go to and talk to people at want me there first thing in the morning. And um I used to think first thing in the morning meant 11 a.m., but boy, have I learned that that's not accurate. But yeah, so I'm not great at going to bed early, and I'm not great at getting up early. And because of that, or along with that maybe, uh, my body does this weird thing sometimes. See, I'll decide that I want to go to bed early, or that I need to go to bed early. And I will. And my body will let me sleep for an hour or two, and then... Decide that I had just taken a great nap, and now I'm awake and raring to go. And that is what happened to me last night. So uh, this episode comes out on November 12th, and I am recording it on November 11th, which is Thursday. Uh, I knew I had to do this today and get it out, so I have some stuff going on today. And so I decided to go to bed early Wednesday night. I think I was asleep by 11 p.m., which is like noon for me and um, it was great until I woke up at 1 completely wide awake and completely refreshed and I did all the things that they say to do I didn't look at screens I, I laid there quietly with all the lights off when that didn't work for a while I read I only got up to go pee um, nothing nothing worked so finally at five o'clock in the morning now being hungry as well. I accepted defeat. I came downstairs. I made myself my breakfast. And I said, well, I have a bunch of stuff to do today, so I might as well start off by recording Zoo News. So it's now 5.25 in the morning. I am recording an intro to a podcast as loopy as I can be after, you know, two hours of sleep and a lovely breakfast. I am going to be mainlining coffee for this entire episode. And, uh, yeah, that's my story. Yay. Oh, and I do have a bit of Safari news to share with y'all. Um, Facebook recently started hosting podcasts, and for a while it was this weird invite-only thing, but now it is open to everyone. So you can listen to the Safari podcast, including this very episode, on Facebook. So just make sure you're following along at Raw Safari and there's a new post every time an episode drops and uh, there are some kind of cool features like you can actually comment as you listen um, and the comment will be like at that place on the episode so that other people can see your thoughts when something is said and that's kind of cool. I dig that. Um, Also, I know that some players don't let you play it when your phone is locked, but the Facebook player does. So that's cool too, I guess. Um, Facebook is, you know, basically a giant evil corporation, but, uh, you know, they, they give us Facebook and Instagram and, and let us communicate our things and we are beholden to our Zuckerberg overlord. So, uh, yeah, you can now listen on Facebook. On one hand, it's contributing to the overall decline of society, but on the other hand, you can listen to my podcast. Pros and cons, y'all. Pros and cons. Okay, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end, ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios all right so before the lack of sleep and way too much caffeine completely destroy my sanity let's get to well it's one for the pandas two for the bears three for the monkeys now you should can i won't you listen to zoo news All right. So we are going to start this week with our, well, the way we always start now, our quick COVID update for zoos. Uh, One good and one bad on this one. Um, The good news is that the animal COVID vaccine is becoming more widespread. Akron announced that they have started vaccinating their animals and they are just the latest of many zoos to announce this. So the vaccine is getting out there to animals and hopefully will help safeguard them against this ridiculous pandemic that we're all living in. Um, Yay that. On a less happy note, uh, the Denver Zoo has announced that their hyenas have contracted COVID-19. Uh, this is, to my knowledge, the only documented case of hyenas having contracted the disease so far. So yay another species can get it (sighs) anyway um as the denver zoo was quick to announce as does akron and everyone else who talks about COVID, all of their staff are using ppe and being careful uh a lot of zoos have vaccine mandates for their staff um you know their things are being done but uh especially with the Delta variant. Animals and humans are still at risk. So uh, yeah, I won't get all preachy again, but you, you know the drill. So let's, let's stop this thing, all right? Some news out of Columbus, Ohio. And no, it's not the news we're all waiting for about the accreditation situation. But Vouter uh, Stellard, the animal program's training director at the zoo, is now leaving the zoo to start his own company. Vowder is an absolute legend in the world of animal training and conservation education, and he will be missed at the zoo. Uh, One of the coolest things about Vowder is every time I have ever talked to anyone in his department at the Columbus Zoo, they not only say that he is incredible with how he works with the animals— but also that he has had a major positive impact on their lives, careers, and understanding of what it means to be a good trainer. While it's a bummer that he'll be leaving the zoo, after 11 years working there full-time, Vouter feels that he has grown up enough of the staff to follow in his footsteps that he is able to leave it in good hands while going off to start his own consulting company, Behavior 360. I cannot wait to see what Behavior 360 offers and how other zoos will be able to benefit from this incredible man's talents and passions. I know a lot of you that listen are involved at zoos and you need to be telling everyone to keep their eyes out for Behavior 360. I cannot wait to see the positive impact this new company has on the larger zoo community. The Fresno Chafee Zoo has partnered with Fresno State University, the Bureau of Land Management, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to announce a conservation effort to recover the endangered blunt-nosed leopard lizard. The zoo has successfully hatched 19 lizards so far in a captive breeding program, which is the first time that has ever been accomplished, with the long-term goal of releasing them back into their natural habitat. The species was listed as endangered way back in the 1960s, and populations have continued to decline thanks mostly to habitat loss, both because of the wildfires in California and, um, human humans, like humans existing. It's just it's really not the best thing for the rest of the species out there. I mean, I really don't mean to sound cynical and this is actually a positive story, but um, I feel like more and more often on Zoo News, I start to explain what particular human uh, activity is causing a species to go extinct. And I just kind of stop and say, well, it's just humans because we do most of the things. But the positive is that we also do lots of good things like this captive breeding program. So, six of the lizards were removed from the wild and put into this uh, breeding program as founders. And over the next five years, the Fresno Chafee Zoo, along with the agencies I mentioned before, will continue the breeding effort to increase the population for eventual release. This is exciting! Blunt-nosed leopard lizards are really cute. Seriously, pause, Google, come back. I'll wait, no wait, I won't because I told you to pause. Also because you can Google while continuing to listen. But anyway, they are really cute, and more importantly, they matter. And I'm really looking forward to the continued and growing success of this new program. And now, two quick sad stories. Unfortunately, the Toronto Zoo recently had to say goodbye to their 10-year-old snow leopard, Enna. Anna had been diagnosed with kidney disease, and the zoo was doing an awesome job helping her fight it, but uh, eventually the disease won, as, as they usually do, and at 10 years of age, Anna was humanely euthanized. I'm going to miss this snow leopard a lot. She was such an amazing feature at the Toronto Zoo and would always sleep right by the glass so you could get really adorable photos of her, and it was... It's just a bummer to see such a beloved animal uh, leave the earth. But, um, you know, the Toronto Zoo did such an amazing job taking care of a snow leopard with kidney disease and giving her not only a great quality of life for the time that she had, but also uh, being able to make the decision to end her suffering in a humane way. Um, Much love to the entire staff at the Toronto Zoo. And kidney disease has also taken Marty the polar bear from us. Marty lived at the Toledo Zoo and um, was one of the most prolific male breeding polar bears in the country, siring eight cubs who have gone on to produce numerous grand cubs as well. This passing is extra newsworthy because the polar bear population in the United States is down to about 40 bears right now, and federal regulations make importing new bears almost impossible, even bears that are found abandoned and, uh, need help. Polar bears are becoming a great example of why SSPs are so important. To keep this population established, we need good genetics and good breeding and, um... Thanks to things such as, well, again, humans, uh, it's a population that in the wild is also, you know, gravely in danger of going extinct. So in order to keep uh, an insurance population, we need to keep breeding them effectively. And um, it's, it's getting harder and harder to do as the population ages. I remain hopeful that the U.S. government will lessen restrictions on importing polar bears only under certain conditions. Y'all know I'm not a fan of animals being yanked out of the wild, but uh, there are times where a polar bear is saved and can't be re-released that maybe maybe it could enter the zoo population or, or something like that. But regardless, I'm incredibly thankful of all of the people who take care of polar bears at zoos and who do the SSP and all that good stuff that are helping keep this population afloat. Condolences to everyone at the Toledo Zoo and sorry to all of my listeners for the back to back sad stories. However, this next story is one of those that I love because it talks about the selflessness of certain institutions. Shedd Aquarium in Chicago recently relocated Ginsu, their incredibly rare 14-foot-long green sawfish, to a new home at the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta. Way back in 2003, Ginsu went to shed as they opened their wild reef exhibit, back when Ginsu was just a little six-foot-long sawfish. Ginsu lived in an exhibit that was set up specifically to provide well for her six-foot-long self and take care of all of her environmental and social needs. But 18 years later, and I refuse to accept that 2003 was 18 years ago, uh, at the size of 14 feet in length and weighing in at more than 450 pounds, uh, Ginsu was just not in an exhibit that... um, was super satisfying. First of all, they kept having to make her exhibit larger to fit her size. And second of all, as they studied her personality more, they realized that she was really quick at learning and adapting to her environment, which meant that they needed to keep finding new ways to keep her enriched so that she wasn't bored. Over that time, it was also discovered that green sawfish are critically endangered. They were not known to be endangered. The population studies hadn't been done when Ginsu showed up at Shed, but uh, they were since done and they found out that the species is critically endangered. Given all of these developments, it was quickly realized that Ginsu was no longer going to be able to live her best life at Shed, and so she was transported to the Georgia Aquarium where they have more room for her and also happened to have a male green sawfish. Now kids, I don't know if you know this or not, but when a male green sawfish and a female green sawfish love each other very much, dot dot dot, Seriously, while I have no idea whether breeding will happen or be successful or even is something that can be done in captivity with this species because they are incredibly rare in captivity, uh, can't hurt. And regardless, having a male and female together will give new data to the scientists at the Georgia Aquarium that study the green sawfish and thus will be able to help with future captivity or captive breeding programs or other things that may help save the species. And finally, a story that straddles zoo news and conservation news, the team at New England Aquarium has teamed up with Drs. Kara Dodge and Charlie Innes from the Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life to come up with a new way to tag sea turtles that are rehabilitated at the aquarium and then released. While tagging sea turtles that are rehabilitated is not an uncommon procedure, there are a couple of problems with it. First of all, the way it is done most often is with satellite tagging, and satellite tags are incredibly expensive— Second of all, they are normally epoxied to the turtle's shell, but they can fall off or be knocked off fairly quickly, so the information obtained is often not as complete or as long term as the scientists would like. However, some turtles that have been rehabilitated at New England Aquarium recently have been fitted with surgically implanted acoustic tags. Now, the way these work is that they basically ping listening stations, kind of like an easy pass system on the highways, to reveal when an animal passes by. The tags have a battery life of 3 to 10 years, depending on the tag size, and the tag size depends on the size of the turtle, and um, also are incredibly cheap to produce and, and purchase compared to the satellite tags. Being internal means they can't be knocked off, and thus scientists will be able to get more data from these turtles than from the traditionally satellite-tagged turtles that have been released. So far, three turtles have been released with the implanted acoustic trackers, and the data is coming back well, and the turtles seem to be thriving, and this is all going super well. And perhaps most importantly, the turtles' names that have been released with these tags are Peanut... Glossy Ibis and Captain Kool-Aid yeah I pretty much just said this story because I wanted to say Captain Kool-Aid okay that's not true it's a good story but also I got to say Captain Kool-Aid oh yeah but also this is a really cool scientific advancement that can mean a huge step forward in tracking and learning about sea turtles and helping with their conservation so yay New England Aquarium oh yeah tropical animal podcast theme song here to bring you to conservation news okay so on a quick side note y'all i just got up to get another coffee that was a choice but um and it's like only like six o'clock and it's the sun's kind of up and there are cars driving to work and um man i'm just starting to realize that y'all live very differently than i do But anyway, conservation news. And we'll start off by sticking with sea turtles. Uh, Some great news. The recently released Senate budget includes $1.5 million in federal funding for sea turtle stranding response and rehabilitation. This is the first time that uh, the federal government has funded direct support for organizations permitted for sea turtle stranding response and rehab. And here's a way that you can help. While it is in the Senate budget, it has not passed through the House yet. So if you live in the United States, please consider contacting your representative and ask that they support the $1.5 million included in the Senate budget for sea turtle stranding response and rehabilitation. Honestly, this is such a small amount of money when you look at the overall budget, but could make such a huge impact to the amazing places that do rehab work for sea turtles, such as the National Aquarium and South Carolina Aquarium, New England Aquarium, and, you know, places that aren't aquariums. The day that this podcast is being released is the last day of the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference of the Parties, which was hosted in Scotland this year. The goals of the conference include inspiring change and getting commitments from world leaders to help fix the climate crisis. It stands as a reminder that there is still time to turn things around, but that we have to start paying attention and demanding action. Joel Sartore, the photographer known for creating National Geographic's photo arc and who had a bunch of his artwork used at the conference, stated that with nearly one million species at risk of extinction in the next decade, we aren't just racing to save wildlife. We are in a race to save ourselves and secure a future for humanity. As seems to be the case with everything nowadays, there is a lot of debate about whether the conference can actually achieve anything, whether it's doing good or whether the carbon footprint of the conference will do more damage than any of the false platitudes that come from there. However, I have to say it. I choose hope. I choose to look at the positive and the fact that this conference is still happening and that there is at least some awareness of the problems that we're facing. Um, I I choose to see that as a good thing. Is it enough? Oh, probably not. Uh, Is there reason to be cynical? Oh, definitely. But um, so many things seem to be disappearing from the social conscience lately that it's kind of nice to see that climate change hasn't yet. And finally, for conservation news this week, North Atlantic right whale populations continue their downward trajectory. The population count for 2020 has dropped to 336 individuals, an 8% decrease from 2019, and also the lowest number for the species in nearly 20 years. Human activity is, again, the main cause of death among North Atlantic right whales, and perhaps the most startling statistic in this study is that 86% of North Atlantic right whales that are still alive today have at some point become entangled in fishing wire and have just managed to escape it. Now, that is one of the two top causes of death amongst the species, along with boat strikes. So that means that an additional 86% of the population could have died from being entangled, but managed to escape. That's uh, beyond crazy to me. In a rare bit of good news for the species, it seems that there are a lot more births happening than have previously, and if that trend continues, the population could actually start to grow again, which would be lovely. But this is clearly a battle that the conservation world will have to keep fighting in order to save this species. And now... In So if you happen to be traveling through New Jersey, you may notice that it stinks. Okay, okay, now that is not news. Anyone who has ever traveled through New Jersey knows that there are parts of it that stink. Sorry, New Jersey listeners, I love you guys, but also it's true. But parts are starting to stink even more than usual because of the massive deer die-off that is happening in New Jersey right now. There is currently an outbreak of EHD— or epizootic hemorrhagic disease. It's caused by a small insect called a midge that enters the deer through their noses and kills them slowly in a matter of days and cannot transfer to humans, and there's no cause for alarm, uh, other than the stinky bits. But um, the deer get really sick and uh, can be seen panting and drooling and frothing at the mouth, and it's just not ideal. And then the deer die and start to rot away. Now, if a deer dies on the road, the state of New Jersey is able to pick them up and they have a whole system because there are lots of deer and car accidents every year. But many of these deer in question are just wandering off into the woods to die and their rotting carcasses are stinking up towns all throughout New Jersey. There is currently no plan in place to deal with this, as it is believed that as the population thins out and gets back to a more manageable number, the EHD will also phase out. The state does ask that if you see a sick or dead deer in the area, please report it to the New Jersey Fish and Wildlife Department. A new video game known as Elori is coming to the Nintendo Switch and Stream. Now this is a hand-drawn 2D platform game that follows the breathtaking story of an endangered red panda. It promotes awareness of endangered species, and um, it looks kind of like a beautiful hand-drawn Metroid-style game for those of you who play those types of things, Uh, but you know, Red Panda, Endangered Animals. This is all very exciting. I've already made my pledge on their Kickstarter page and will be getting my digital copy as soon as it is available for my Switch. I'm really excited. I cannot wait to, oh my god, I just realized. It's a video game. At some point, my character is going to die, probably multiple times. Well. I'm sad now. No, no, I kid. I kid. That's how video games work. And it's awesome that there is a red panda character in a video game that teaches conservation and about cool endangered species and stuff. This is going to be fun. And finally, for other news, you know, it is well known that Johnny Cash was a tenor singer who would sing low bass notes occasionally for attention. People loved it when he went low. Turns out that Johnny Cash may have just been a young harbor seal dressed in black. Holy crap, that's the weirdest intro to a story I have ever said, and I clearly need to sleep at some point in life again. But I stand by it. A recent study published in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society shows that young harbor seals will actually change the pitch of their calls to get attention. That might not sound all that strange to you, but it's actually really rare in the animal kingdom. In most species, if there's a lot of noise happening, especially a lot of members of the species communicating, and one particular individual is trying to be heard over the din, they will usually get louder. Sometimes they'll even change the rhythm in which they're communicating, but it's actually really rare for an animal to change its pitch— especially as much as harbor seals, which will repeatedly drop their voice until the tone is lower than that of the din around them and their voice stands out and they can be heard. The study says that this not only shows an incredible amount of vocal control, but also illustrates that the young harbor seals that do this understand that they are using their voice to communicate. Furthermore, this is not a taught behavior as very, very young harbor seals were seen doing it. It is just something that they intrinsically understand that they can do to be heard. I find this absolutely fascinating. And just in case you didn't hear me say that because of the din of noise around us, I find that absolutely fascinating. Oh, when I'm all- We start off our animal holidays with a reminder that November is Manatee Awareness Month. I want to say thank you to my friends at Moat for promoting my manatee episode that I did with them in their newsletter to celebrate. That led to a lot of new people finding the podcast and my best downloaded week ever. So thank you all so much. And yay, manatees! Also a reminder as you're listening to this that uh, you assuming you're listening to this on the 12th when it comes out, are in the middle of polar bear week, which runs through the end of the 13th, which then transitions right into orangutan caring week. This is an entire week dedicated to caring about orangutans and making sure that you don't call them orangutans, because I think they care. Sunday, November 14th, is the International Day of Zoo and Aquarium Educators. Monday the 15th is Steve Irwin Day and America Recycles Day. Wednesday the 17th is Orange is for Orangutan Day, proving that orangutans have not only the weirdest name for their week, but also the weirdest name for their day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. (laughs) And there you have it. A bleary-eyed rendition of Rasafari Zoo News is in the books. Once again, please remember that if you see any Zoo News-worthy stories, you can send them to me in all the ways I said at the beginning of the episode. Tagging me usually works best. And then you'll get to hear me read your name right here when I say something like, hey, special thanks to Colleen Lenahan, Anya Keen, Kristen Khalil, Peter Oilo, and Dr. Zoe Vesley gross for hooking me up with stories this week. See, that's how it works. Also, thank you to PJ Bevan and Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patrons on Patreon. Don't forget that you too can support the pod financially by going to patreon.com slash Safari. And remember, friends, the Kool-Aid guy says newsy credits backwards like this. Oh, Stiderk, you swear." The Rossafari podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray.